All the bodies on top of each other in a freezer. What do you mean? Why did you do that? Well, I only had one deep freezer. I mean, take the decision to pile the bodies on top of each other. Where was she gonna go? How did you conceivably sleep at night? I slept well. Of course, at first I cried. It was up because I had to let go of all of that. I'm doing my best, Michelle, to listen to what you're saying. However, I, I need to know that you also accept that you had a number of other options open to you other than the extreme violence with which you decided to act. What do you mean accept it? You had a number of other options. There were no other options. I, I'm not playing crazy. I wasn't in depression. None of that. It's no excuse for rape, period. According to police reports, you ordered your eldest daughter uh, to, to, to physically lift the body of, of, of one of your children. No, I didn't tell her to lift the body. Can you imagine? You're talking about no, we're talking, you want to talk about your surviving children though, Michelle? Uh, you didn't ever consider turning yourself in? If my son told me that he did not want me to go after what happened with Stephen, after I killed Sunday, you really think I was about to turn myself in because of her? Hell no. 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 And you feel no remorse for that? I would kill him again. No! Oh. Music and murder contains violence, oh. profanity, oh. and graphic material that may not be suitable for children oh. or people with weak stomachs. Oh. Parental advisory is definitely recommended. Welcome back. This is episode 20 fucking 3 of Music and Murder. I am your host, your writer, your editor, your pool boy, your paper boy, and your motherfucking daddy, Michael D. Keeney. This case is from 2015 and stems from the beautiful city of Detroit, Southside for all you juggalos. This case is about a mother of four named Michelle Blair. And believe me, Michelle Blair don't care about anything, not even killing her own kids. Now, let's chop this up and snort it already. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> Cocaine is a hell of a drug. But can you imagine Rick James on meth? Like good 1990s P2P meth. Fuck, he would have been a serial killer. He would have been burning every woman in sight with a meth pipe. And he'd never have to sleep. Still, cocaine is a hell of a drug. And 35-year-old Michelle Blair loved it. You see, Michelle was a strawberry. And to all of you white, privileged, douchebag, rich, trust fund motherfuckers, a strawberry is... Well, here's the amazing rap band N.W.A. to help explain. Neighborhood hoe. Do anything for a hit or two. Get up 
So this strawberry, Michelle Blair, it is spelled Michelle, but with a T right after the I, Michelle. This strawberry, Michelle Blair, was a mother of four, at least for a while. She lived in Detroit, South Side. I will now refer to Michelle Blair as simply Blair. Kind of like the blonde on the old TV show, The Facts of Life. But only this Blair was a black woman with short hair around 5'3". And she just happened to be addicted to crack. Have no job. She had two different deadbeat baby daddies who took off and left her with four children. And I know, ladies, this does happen sometimes. So I'm not talking shit on her. I'm just telling you the facts. Blair was seriously as much of a ghetto street thug as I've ever seen anyone with a vagina be. In other words, bitch be crazy and scary as fuck. And it's not the way that she looked, even though that was a factor as well. But it was her mannerisms and just the way that she talked and the way that she was pissed off 100% of the time. I don't know how anyone could be so pissed at the world for so long without killing themselves. I mean, everything that I watched with this woman in it, she was 100% very, very angry. Either way, she'd make most of you piss in your pants and run if you saw her on a bad day. I watched most of her murder trial and she had multiple outbursts and assaults on officers and other people working in the court. The bitch literally tried to beat down her own lawyer at one point. If that ain't fucking gangster, I don't know what is. Bitch would have called Easy e a hoe. Anywho, you get the idea, right? This is a scary demon of a woman. Probably the scariest that I've ever seen as far as, like, the way that she carried herself. Very, very, very intimidating. So when Blair is 33 years old... She isn't working or going to school. In fact, she's never had a job in her entire life. She lived in a very, very violent part of Detroit, which is almost all of Detroit, if you really kind of put that into perspective. Or as I call it, Detroit Rock City, because I am a KISS fan, and please respect that even if you don't like them. Now, she had four children ranging in ages from 6 to 15 years old. Their names and ages from youngest to oldest are as followed. There was six-year-old Matthew, who was her favorite, nine-year-old Stephen, 13-year-old Stoney, who was a female, and a beautiful, brilliant young lady from what everybody had to say about Stoney, and Stoney's older sister, Gabby, who was 15. As I said, all of these children had two different fathers, one was named Stephen Barry, and one was named Alexander Dorsey. Now, if you're a woman and you live in the Detroit area, I highly recommend that you hook up with them. Have them come in you, and then you can spend the rest of your life raising their child alone. Because, you see, it's not only these two guys that are deadbeats. 
it's their families as well. Them and their family did not give two fucks about the kids that they conceived with Blair. As I learned watching the trial, now Blair's children, in my opinion, were conditionally loved by Blair depending on how much she loved or liked their father. And of course, how much their fathers helped out Blair. There was one that was better than the other, and that was Alexander Dorsey. He was still pretty fucking worthless, but he was a little better than Stephen Barry. So the two kids that she had with Dorsey were thus treated a little better. And one of these children that was treated a little better was named Matthew. And that was her six-year-old that I said earlier was her favorite. Now in August of 2012, Blair comes home from a day of hoeing around her apartment building. She had been at a friend's house doing what people do all day that don't work. Which I wouldn't know how that works because I supported myself since I was 16. But anyway, Blair comes home around 3 p.m. on a day in August of 2012. Nobody knows the specific date because there was a long time lapse in between the crimes that I'm going over and the time of her arrest. But it was in August. And it doesn't get too hot in Detroit, so it was likely around 80 to 85 degrees in this August day. And Blair walks through the door around 3 p.m. in August of 2012. And Blair was an avid drug user and an avid alcoholic who was known to drink cheap wine and use crack cocaine on the reg. Which means regular, right? For all you boomers. God, I hate old people, especially since I became one of them. So Blair was very likely high, intoxicated, and pissed off about her life, as her usual, right? Now, when 33-year-old Blair walked through the front door of her filthy and very unsanitized house, she entered the living room, where her youngest son, 6-year-old Matthew, was playing with his favorite dolls. I cannot find the specifics, but allegedly one doll was an Elmo doll, and the other one was a, a male Monster High doll. Now, six-year-old Matthew was playing with these dolls pretty much on a daily basis. But this time, Matthew was grinding their private parts, their genitals, well, where their genitals would be, had they been blessed with genitals, together. So he was taking his dolls and grinding their private parts together. Now, some sources state that he was making one look as though that they were committing sodomy on the other. And some sources state that Matthew was using at least one of the dolls to stimulate himself. And some sources are just complete bullshit. According to Blair herself, Matthew was pushing the growing area of the two dolls together. Which for a six-year-old is nothing really strange at all. Especially when you have access to the internet, where everything you try to search just turns into a giant cock. Or a big set of bouncing titties. 
and your mother is a drunk, worthless crackhead, and your father is out trying to impregnate other women so he can abandon her and her kids just like he did with Blair. Ladies, you know the type of man that I'm talking about. As in 80% of them motherfuckers, right? Thank the heavenly stars for the 20% of the good ones. Although, on men's behalf, I would like to say that women have slowly been getting there as well. But I'm not here to bash on anyone other than Blair for now. So let's get back to that. But, ladies, real quick, if you do find a man that doesn't cheat and or beat on you, keep him. I mean, if you like men. These days it's getting to be kind of rare. Stock and cock has plummeted, according to Forbes magazine, and the Dow on most days. I think cock actually closed at an all-time low at 26.5 yesterday. Oh well, we'll bounce back, guys. Cock is certain, certain to rise again, literally. Now, even though Matthew was just playing with his dolls and exhibiting very, very normal behavior for a six-year-old, this did not sit well with Blair. And a likely high and drunk broke, pissed off Blair at that. Now, also in the house at this very same time was Blair's older nine-year-old son, Stephen, who was not Blair's favorite, to say the least. Blair actually liked two of her children, six-year-old Matthew, who was her favorite, and her oldest daughter, Gabby, who was 15. So again, Blair walks into the house and witnesses Matthew doing these things with his dolls, and she immediately looks at her son, Stephen, sideways. And I've watched every interview available with Blair, so I know she looked at him sideways because she does that a lot. Now Blair then turned her attention back to young Matthew who was still grinding his doll's genitals together and she began yelling at him to stop. She also began pulling his hair and slapping and hitting him all over his face in a rage. And let me tell you, when this little crack whore bitch gets upset, it is scary. I'm sure no matter how many times that she's beat these poor kids, they were fucking terrified each and every time. So she begins beating Matthew and screaming, what the fuck are you doing? Who taught you this? Who the fuck taught you to do this with these dolls? Did someone do this to you? So, kind of mixed signals, right? She's asking her six-year-old son, Matthew, if he had basically been sexually molested or assaulted while beating the living shit out of this poor kid. Now, while beating Matthew and asking him this, Matthew just happens to quickly glance at his older brother, Stephen, which isn't surprising because Stephen was standing right there and the apartment was only a two-bedroom 800 square foot apartment and Stephen was in the kitchen directly next to where she was beating up Matthew. So Blair sees Matthew look at Stephen and then she asks Matthew, did your brother do this to you? And immediately Matthew screamed no and he said 
dislike for three or four times as she kept asking him. But do you think this mattered to a drunken high Blair who was just begging and looking for a reason to beat her least favorite child? No fucking way. She continued to beat Matthew, screaming at him, telling him, did Stephen do this to you? And after a few minutes of this, just wanting the beating to stop, Matthew did something that he now and will always regret. He yells to Blair, yes, yes, Stephen did this to me. And Blair immediately dropped Matthew and she set her demonic possessed eyes onto young nine-year-old Stephen like a mountain lion getting ready to rip the flesh off of a gazelle. We will be right back after this break. That isn't a stupid fucking commercial. So please, listen to it. Be right back. Hello, my friend. Hello. You do, my friend. <laughs> what would you like? Sir. Yes, what would you like? Uh, I want to uh, pack a backwards. Pack a backwards. Backwards? Give me a fifth of that privileged Hennessy and uh, that's my fifth. And then, that's it. Yes, my friend. Thank you very, very much. What you know about me? I'm Mac Dreezy, called Hennessy Heen and a blunt up Leezy. I keep a fat sack wrapped in a backward leaf. Home trees that make me look Japanese. Green seedless, mean when I'm weedless. Never in denial, I'm a fiend and I need this. Any day is a bad day for Mac Dre when he ain't got it. They ask why he act that way. Smoke champ, Kush, and Nay. Man was made, bomb this brain. I can't fade. Don't keep up lazy, roll for an easy. I ask her, what the feezy? Gotta have weed to go get me. You don't like it, kiss my ass till your lips bleed. This one's for the club, so I'm kinda like keeping it clean. Sing it with me, y'all. Blizzy's in here. I got to have my dough everywhere I go. When they ask me what's my drink, I say, hey man, what shit Wrap this with me And if you 
you don't understand, you ain't in bridge. Your daddy and your uncle was the same man. I gotta have dope everywhere I go. When they ask me what I drank, I say heme, what you think? I guess heme in me, only substitute is Remy. In the sack with Jimmy on Portland with Kenny. I'm thanked out, drank out, can't talk, can't count. If I want some more, I'm making baby pull her bank out. You cool on the bomb, boy. What do you mean? Sing it to him, y'all. Listen, Welcome back to Music and Murder. That was the one and the only Mac Dre with Bleezy's and Heem. If you don't know about Mac Dre, let me just tell you, he was a motherfucker that should have been the motherfucker. A real, truly gifted rapper who was gunned down in 2004 while he was hanging out in Kansas City after a show. Now, Mac Dre was from the Bay Area of California, and he was affiliated with a gang in the area that I will not name, because I don't name gangs, gangsters, or motorcycle clubs on this show, because I happen to like my teeth. But let's just say that he was the real deal, not a vanilla ice wrapper. So go on to whatever you stream and buy his music and pick up a couple tunes or a couple of records. He put out, I think he has about a dozen records and it would really help support his surviving family members. The feds, the, the feds actually had Mac Dre under surveillance for suspected bank robbery in California, but they had no idea who shot him and the people he was riding in a van with when he was in Kansas City. Hmm. Mac Dre was actually convicted of conspiracy to commit bank robbery in the early 90s, and he would call from jail, and his people would record him on the phone. That way he could remember the lyrics that he wrote in jail when he got out, which was in 1996. So, why don't I do an episode on it, right? Well, as far as any details for Mac Dre's murder, I just did as long of an episode as I can do. Because police don't know anything, and allegedly, neither does anyone else. However, I will state my opinion, like I never do, of course. I think it was a federal police officer, or federal police officers. You see, Mac Dre literally named a few officers in his songs that got pretty famous, even though he was considered just an underground rapper at the time. Sometimes cops don't like it when you put their real names inside of a song and talk a bunch of shit on them and even threaten them a little. 
But hey, that was Mac Dre. The man, the legend, the badass, motherfucker with bad motherfucker on his wallet. And of course, we all know cops are not afraid to kill any of us. All of us. Not just certain races. Police, especially federal police, will kill any of us and go home and sleep like a baby. But hell, I personally might be able to kill someone and do the same thing, depending on what they did to me. Who knows? Maybe your mom. Anywho, back to the episode. Oh, and please follow, share, like, and review the show and all that shit, blah, blah. All I really mean is if you appreciate me doing this show for absolutely free, like I do, maybe show me some love. That's all. And if you don't like the show, turn it off and go back to jerking off to incest porn and listen in the Nickelback. Okay, so when we left off, Blair had just walked in, caught her favorite child, Matthew, playing with his dolls in a sexual manner and beat a a confession out of Matthew, completely out of duress. The confession that six-year-old Matthew gave Blair stated that his older brother, Stephen, had been sexually abusing him for years. So Blair went fucking ballistic on nine-year-old Stephen, who she hated pretty much in the first place. She's never ever said one good thing about Stephen in hours of testimony and interviews that I heard her talk about him in. Like, I mean, nothing good. Not like he changed or he was possessed or this or that. No, she hated this kid probably since he was born. Kind of know how that feels like a little bit. Now, I just want to clarify that when I state things about who Blair liked and who Blair hated, these are just my opinions. These opinions, they stem from watching so many interviews and reading transcripts and police reports on this bitch, as well as hearing statements from Blair's oldest daughter, Gabby. You know when you watch a true crime show, like Snapped or something, and and then they cut to some motherfucker stating their opinions? Well, that's me. I'm that motherfucker. And in this case, I am right. Now, when Blair hears Matthew's coerced fake confession that was given completely just to make his strawberry crack whore mother stop beating him, this bitch jumped on poor nine-year-old Stephen and started beating him like she wanted to kill him. The things she did to this kid are going to really make you hurt inside a bit. So just be warned. This is definitely not the worst case that I've ever talked about, but it is fucking brutal. So she beats Steven till he's unconscious. She beats his eyes until they're swollen completely shut. This young man could not see anything. She then ties him up to her bed, not his, 
but her bed. Then she sodomizes him with multiple objects around the house. Then after about eight hours of this torture, around 4 a.m., a tired Blair then goes to sleep. She doesn't feed Stephen anything that day or for the next few. Oh, and one more thing. She made six-year-old Matthew watch all of this, even the sodomy, with, of course, the objects that she used. On day three or four, after Stephen had been stripped, beaten, raped, with foreign objects, of course, and starved, she then urinates on him. Here's a clip of her explaining why. She doesn't talk about her urinating on him, but she does explain the reasoning of why she did it. I just started asking him questions. At this point, it's just spilling out. He's just spilling out. And mom, and he's doing like this, and he do this thing almost every night. He tell me how he was, he's not put bags over Steven's head. Because the I thought in the bed. My son was never a bad water. Didn't know it was Steven waking up every morning, pissing on like he was a damn piece of okay? They had bunk beds. Steven would get out the bed in the middle of the night. You rape him in his own bed. You pee on him instead of going to the bathroom. I'm waking up every morning thinking was a bed water. So we just wash him up and go, you, you, you a bed water. Let's so talk about what you did to Steven. The reason I put bags over Steven's head because my son told me that the plastic on his bed, because I thought he was a bedwetter, he said, sometimes, Mom, I couldn't breathe. Stephen was laying on me, and he had my face down, and the plastic on the bed, I couldn't breathe, and he was humping on my butt like a basketball. That's when I got a garbage bag and started putting it over Stephen's head, and I started asking him, bitch, you know what I'm saying? You see what this feel like? You can't breathe? You stop him. That's my son. You could not breathe on top of getting raped. He was six years old at the time. Get what I'm saying? So I put a bag over his head. He lost consciousness. I did that a couple times. Um, he told me that would be face down. He had stuff around his neck. So I grabbed Steven and I grabbed the belt and I put a belt around his neck and I lifted him up. Like, do you like how this feels? Being choked with a belt. So I dropped him. I held him up until he lost consciousness as well. You were intending to. No, I did not intend to kill Steven. No, 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 I'm not. What's my question? You were intending to inflict serious physical harm, but not kill him. Definitely. Okay. Did you also punch him? Yes, I did. Multiple you also times. Him? Yes, I did. You talked about choking him. Did you also burn him? Yes, I did. Okay, how did you do that? Hot water. Scalding hot water. Now, Blair claims that she, too, like her son Matthew, had been a survivor of child sexual abuse, but I'm not so sure. I think she was raped by men, possibly young nine-year-old Stephen's dad, because all I know is she had been looking for a reason to hurt and maybe even kill Stephen for a very long time because of something that happened. We don't know. But you notice how she talks about how Matthew was only six, but Stephen was only nine. 
And she also talks in that clip about how Matthew is her son, but she acts like Stephen wasn't her son. She says, you see that, that's my son, while she's talking to her son, Stephen. It is very bizarre. Now, Blair could have been molested or raped as a kid, but I honestly don't see it. I don't see the signs. I don't see it in her face when she talks about it. Plus, this bitch is so fucking mean that if anyone did ever rape her, I really think she would have killed them, even if it had been many years later. This bitch wasn't a pervert. She wasn't cray-cray. She was fucking evil. Mean, wicked, and nasty. Just all around fucking wrong in every way possible. Wanna see her? Hit the show's IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast. And while you're there, follow the show. And I'll follow you back. Now here's the part that gets really bad. She gets an electrical cord, cuts it off at the end so she can slowly electrocute Stephen. This bitch was from the streets and she knew how to hurt people. She treated her own child like he robbed her for 10 kilos of Peruvian flake. I'm not trying to joke. This is seriously fucked up. I just can't help but make these comparisons because they're true. They're true. This is the type of shit that you would do if you were a drug kingpin and somebody robbed you. So Stephen had been beaten, sodomized, deprived of food, and any decent amount of water for many, many, many days now. Excuse me, many, many days now. Electrocuted and beat some more, then urinated on, all while six-year-old Matthew was watching. She also forced Matthew to tell her to do it again and again while she slowly killed her own nine-year-old child. This bitch even made Stephen drink Windex when he pleaded and begged for water. And then, after Stephen really couldn't take any more and his young nine-year-old life was slipping away, Blair figured that she was just getting started and young nine-year-old Stephen needed more, much more, something way worse. Now, police reports confirmed that the skin on young Stephen's genitals had actually came completely off when Blair threw the scalding hot water on him that she was talking about in the clip. She said that she threw scalding hot water on him, but she did not say where. She did this on his genitals until every bit of skin on his whole entire growing area came completely off. His genitals were basically cooked until he was completely mutilated 
in the entire area. Shortly after this, young, smart, good-looking Stephen, who had almost his entire life left ahead of him, finally died when she tied the electrical cord around his neck and strangled him to death. His little heart could not take any more. So I do believe that at this point, with everything else that Blair did, killing him by asphyxiation was the most humane thing that she did that week. When Blair realized that she had finally actually killed him, she told Matthew and the other two kids, 13-year-old Stoney and 15-year-old Gabby, that it was completely an unexpected accident. Now take that in for a second. She beat, raped, starved, electrocuted, urinated, strangled, and burnt the skin off of this young man's genitals for over a week and then stated that it was a fucking accident and then proceeded to explain to the other kids that their brother that they grew up with was a demon and murdering him was all for the best. Wow. Fucking wow. Then she ordered Stoney and Gabby to put nine-year-old Stephen in plastic and pick him up and put his little dead body inside of the deep freezer that she moved into the living room right by the front door to the apartment and told the kids every day to be good or they were going into the freezer with their brother. Thus, she was later given the moniker Freezer Mom by the media. Now we're just getting started. This isn't Freezer Mom's only murder. Sit back and check out this tune by Dave Askew and his band Vultures of Vegas. Dave is my after episode guest, and this is his song that Ace Freely from Kiss, that's right, Ace Freely from Kiss, released called Outer Space. Please make sure to stick around for the discussion. It's going to be a great one. Dave is an exceptionally, exceptionally great songwriter, great singer, great musician. Thus, Ace Freely from KISS, one of the most well-known guitarists in the world, released one of his songs. And in my opinion, and I am not just saying this because I love Dave, in my opinion, this is the best song besides New York Groove that Ace Freely has ever released. You said you wanted my love to be a part of my game. It came to push and shove. I had to shoot you, you came up lame. Well, now you're scratching and clawing. You're way up from the grave You should've stayed in the dirt, girl It's like I told you I came from out of space Yeah, yeah, yeah 
This is Michael, and I cannot come to the phone right now because I'm busy fucking your mom in the ass. As soon as I come all over her face and write my initials, I will get right back to you. Leave your name and number, and until then, go fuck yourself. Michael, it's me, Joe. I just called to say that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to be on the show anymore. I just, I, I, I don't have nothing left in me. There ain't, there ain't a funny bone in my body anymore. Everything is just dark. Everything has died. My guns are gone. Carol Baskin has won. She, she has completely destroyed me. And I can't, I can't joke about it no more. I can't, I can't laugh about it no more. I can't, I can't make fun of it anymore. And I, I can't call your show anymore and I can't be on here. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very sorry. I, I can't get no fucking tigers or meth or nothing anymore. I, I can't do it anymore. I was hoping that you were going to answer the goddamn phone, but instead you're fucking saying that you're fucking my mom, which is funny and made me laugh for a second, but fuck. It's, it's just all fucked up, man. So this is goodbye. This is goodbye forever. I'm not going to ever be able to call you anymore. I have to put the past behind me, and I have to get over Carol Baskin one of these fucking days. I'm going through a lot of therapy. I'm doing a lot of lot of stuff that I've never done before to try to get over this shit. And being on your fucking show is fun, but it ain't helping me any. None of it's helping me at all. I've been in the darkest fucking place I've ever been. Everything around me is fucking dead. And listening to your show, everything just fucking dies too. So, this is goodbye. This is good fucking bye. I'm not running for president. I ain't doing a motherfucking thing. I'm just gonna try to change and become a better motherfucking person. And honestly, I think you should too. But that ain't me to judge. I ain't, I ain't judging anybody or anything. I will continue to listen to the show, but other than that, just kill me off. Kill me off like a motherfucking goddamn soap opera. Goodbye, Michael. This time it's for real. Goodbye. I don't even have any words to say about that phone call. I received that three days ago, and uh, I feel really bad for him, and I feel really bad that he feels the way that he does about the show. It is a very sad show, I do get it, and he, he does need to work on himself. So I do believe that that is the last that we're going to hear from Joe, unfortunately. It was always a pleasure having him on here. And Joe, if you are listening, just know that you always do have a home on this show. And my listeners are your listeners. And they always, always love to hear you. But as your request goes, I will have to kill you off of the show, of course. And I wish you the best. I hope that you're able to get help. I hope that you're able to get past Carol Baskin. 
I hope that you're able to to be vindicated because we know you didn't kill her. We know that that tweaker is lying and uh, I wish you the best, Joe. Very sorry I didn't answer the phone. Getting back to the story now. Nine months after nine-year-old Stephen was tortured to no end, even having the skin of his genitals burnt off by scalding hot water by his own mother, Michelle Blair. Blair being the raging crackhead, strawberry delusional hood rat that she was, now began setting her sights on her daughter, 13-year-old Stoney, who was, from what everybody says, a pretty young lady that was doing excellent in school and had a very bright future ahead of her. But of course, her biological cunt mother had to make sure that wasn't going to happen. Not only did Stoney have to live through all the crazy shit that Blair put her through with torturing and killing Stephen and then putting his dead body inside of a deep freezer right next to the front door that Stoney had to walk by every single time she left or came from the house, but now she had to also worry about what her mother was going to do to her personally. Stoney knew that Blair was beginning to take out all of her rage on her now that Stephen was gone and was singling her out the way that she did Stephen. But what could this poor young lady do? I mean, she could have went to the police and told them that her mother killed her little brother and his body was, was inside a deep freezer next to the front door. But you have to remember, Stoney didn't have a father around. Every man that had sex with Blair and knocked Blair up got as far away from that bitch as they possibly could before they were either eaten, poisoned, or stabbed with a fucking butter knife. Even if it meant leaving their own kids with her, which is just exactly as bad as killing the kids themselves in my opinion. Guys, if you know the mother of your child is a drug addicted alcoholic that is mean enough to scare Satan, you really need to get custody. Otherwise your kid or kids may wind up in a freezer and I'm not fucking around. Get your kids the fuck away from her. And same thing with you women. Don't leave your kids with some dude that may hurt them in any way, shape, or form. Get them the fuck out of that situation. These are your kids that you're talking about. So in May of 2013, just out of the blue, Blair begins to accuse Stoney of also molesting and raping her youngest son, Matthew, who she also abused, by the way. She abused all her kids but just less than the other children a little bit. Blair was a vicious bitch. Go on to the show IG and look at the picture I posted, like I said before. It's her screaming in actual court, along with her two kids that she tortured and raped and killed. Now, 13-year-old Stoney grew up in a very financially poor environment, as well as her siblings. 
and was taught to not trust the police, social workers, or anyone else. She had no role models. She had basically nothing but her siblings and her evil and drug-addicted mother. Stoney didn't stand a chance. Blair set her sights on this poor young lady and she didn't have a fucking chance. One evening, just like with Stephen, Blair came home in a bad mood and Matthew was sitting on the ground, but this time there were no dolls, no sexual things going on whatsoever. But Blair was mad. Matthew was there. And unfortunately, Stoney was there too. Matthew had told his mother that his behind hurt when he pooped, which was likely just a normal bit of constipation or some kind of weird pain that we all experience. I'm sure all of you could think of a time when you had a sharp pain around your rear end. But after talking with Matthew, Bear Blair began attacking Stoney. Just after a talk, she began attacking Stoney. She began with beating this poor girl into unconsciousness, just like with Stephen, and then tied her to her bed, meaning Blair's bed, just like she did with Stephen. Only with Stoney, the torture wasn't as bad. There was no urinating, sexual assault, electrocution, drinking of Windex, or that type of stuff. However, Blair did throw scolding hot water on her, but it wasn't stated exactly where. Blair would beat her on a daily basis. Blair also told her 13-year-old daughter Stoney that like her brother Stephen, she too was a demon that needed the die. And like with Stephen, she did make Matthew watch again, and she did make him tell her to do it again and again whenever she would physically assault Stoney, which was every day for long periods of every day. She didn't only starve Stoney, she also withheld water and anything consumable. Stoney was being beaten by Blair and a plastic bag tied over her head, thus suffocating her when she finally died. That's right, Blair was beating her while she was suffocating her with a plastic bag. When Stoney finally did die, when her heart finally stopped and she couldn't take any more, Blair then said, and I quote, finally, that little bitch got what she deserved, end quote. And she told her oldest daughter, Gabby, to grab, to grab Stoney's feet as Blair wrapped Stoney in plastic. They picked up her body, and Blair picked her up by her hair, while Gabby picked her up by her feet, and they opened the freezer, 
and through Stoney's lifeless, beaten, and tortured and starved body into the freezer next to the front door, right on top of her brother Stephen. Then Blair said, Well, I'm glad that's done. Now you kids go to bed. You have school tomorrow. And that too was a quote. Blair told police that she told the kids the next day that she wanted to turn herself in. But Matthew, her youngest, six-year-old Matthew, begged her not to and told her that he needed his mother. So Blair did not turn herself in. I will be right back with the completely insane way that she was finally caught. You are absolutely not going to believe how this story ends. It is in fucking sane. Well, she said, boy, you ain't gonna get no job. You keep on living like a slob. I think it's best that you be moving on. She said there was a time I trusted you Till that time I busted you You ain't ever gonna change your evil ways And I said it's all dead and gone Somehow life just keeps on moving on Oh, the riot It's kind of like a hurricane 
a brand new song from my new album that I swear I'm going to release someday. It's called Stay Gone. Again, that was Michael D. Keeney with Stay Gone. So, how did Blair finally get caught for murdering two of her own young children? Was it the good old police in their handy-dandy detective work? No. Was it someone from social services coming to check on the children and to ask Blair why they weren't in school or anywhere else? Fuck no. Was it one of the two children Blair didn't kill confiding in someone at their school about the murders of their siblings? No. No. It was none of those things. You're not going to believe this. Take a second and just try to guess. Just try to guess. Unless you've heard this story, obviously. Do, 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 do. Okay, so in March of 2015, which was very close to three years after Stephen's murder and two years after Stoney's murder, the Detroit Sheriff's Department went to Blair's apartment where Blair and her two remaining children still lived. But they didn't go there because of her missing nine-year-old son, nor did they go there for her 13-year-old missing daughter. Not at all. They're fucking cops. They don't care about that shit, right? That's social worker shit to them. No, they went there to remove Blair's personal belongings because Blair had been evicted three months prior to this for not paying her rent and spending too much of that money on cheap wine and crack cocaine. And you know I love to say this, take this in for a second. Her kids are missing for years and the sheriff's department finally go to her house but it's only because she failed to pay rent. That was it. They went there to remove what little items that she owned. This is everything that is wrong with our world these days. Fucking just right there on a billboard, 
what is wrong with this world, this story. Now, being that the time elapsed to where the landlord could have the police physically remove Blair's property, the landlord obviously exercised that right and had the police department come. And of course, upon entering the residence, the first thing that the police grab is the deep freezer sitting right in front of the door, or rather on the back of the door as soon as they walk in the apartment. It's the first thing that you see. Remember how I was talking about how she moved it there to make sure that her other kids that she didn't kill had to walk by it every single day and then thus she could threaten them and say, don't fuck up because if you do, you're gonna end up in the freezer with your brother and sister. So the police walk in, they see this deep freezer and they notice it's pretty heavy because they didn't open it up because who would put their kids in a fucking deep freezer right next to the front door, right? So they initially tried to just pick it up and remove it from the residence, which means that if it wasn't so heavy or if they had some kind of machinery to pick it up, it's very possible, very possible that they would have never even found the bodies at all. They would have just moved the fucking freezer into the moving truck but they notice that it's pretty heavy so of course they then open it so they can remove some of the contents to make it more easier to pick up i'm sure the officers that open that freezer are likely prescribed an entire mountain of xanax every month and i'm not trying to make jokes about this this is seriously something that can fuck anybody up i know that i personally fuck with the police on this show a lot and i have a lot of negative things to say about them but they are just people they are just people i have friends that i grew up with that are police officers in fact one of my friends that's a police officer that i grew up with he actually was the one that wrote my letter to get into fresno state to get my master's degree so i don't hate all police officers i just have a lot of history with police being very, very much, how would you say it, just just rude and all around incompassionate. And a lot of police officers are fucking douchebag assholes that will fuck your wife, kill you, do anything that they want because they have a badge. But does that mean that every officer is bad? No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. And uh, to any officers that are listening to me talk shit whenever I talk shit, if you are one of those good police officers, my apologies. I don't mean that everybody is anything. You can't categorize and put anybody into a category unless you know them. But with that said, most cops are fucking dicks. And that is the truth. Now, take a second and just imagine, no matter what your job is, no matter what your authority level is or anything like that I want you to imagine going to a residence to grab property for an eviction case and opening a freezer to find a dead 13 year old girl stacked on top of a nine-year-old boy yeah it could really fuck you up it could fuck anyone up it could fuck me up so the police now finally notice that these two children are missing for two and three years. They finally 
conceive that, they finally acknowledge that, they finally comprehend that these kids have been gone for years, right? Thankfully, someone finally noticed. And I know you could probably hear it in my voice because right now I want to scream as loud as I can and yell, how in the actual fuck did a nine-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl go missing for that long just eight years ago from right now? Does Detroit have no schools, police officers, fathers, or social workers? These dumb, clueless motherfuckers. If anyone could have done their job after Stephen's death, Stoney would still be alive. But nobody did their job. Not the fathers, not the social workers, definitely not the fucking police. Everybody dropped the ball on this one. However, I will refrain from screaming and I will look on the bright side. This was over with. Michelle Blair confessed immediately, of course. I mean, there isn't a lawyer on the planet that could have argued anything for this case. The kids are right there in the freezer. But there were some mitigating factors at hand, right? Blair did claim to have been sexually abused and beaten when she was a child. And she was also extremely, extremely adamant about both Stephen and Stoney raping six-year-old Matthew. And of course, there's Blair's addictions to take into consideration, right? Well, the jury still said, fuck that bitch, and all of her excuses. In June of 2015, Michelle Blair was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Because Detroit, well, Michigan in general, where Detroit resides, banned the death penalty in 1963. Upon being sentenced, Blair claimed that she was glad that she killed both of her children. They were demons, she said. They had to go. She screamed out at the judge and the jury that they had to go multiple times. She continued to talk about how it gave her son Matthew closure and she knows how Matthew felt because she felt the same way when she was being sexually abused. If this episode ever makes it into the earshot of Blair, I would like to say this to her. You dumb fucking strawberry crackhead whore. Even if you were sexually assaulted when you were a kid, it doesn't make you eligible to torture and starve your fucking children and then put them in a freezer so you can scare the hell out of your other kids. You deserve to be killed ASAP and then burn and rot in fucking hell. You dumb chwat. I hope you die a horrible death and rot in anything resembling hell when you die. And when you do, I hope everyone who knows you, everyone that knows about this case, comes to your gravesite and fucking pisses on it. You are a dirty, rotten, disgusting fucking whore. <sighs> okay, I feel much better now. As of this year, 2023, Michelle has accumulated over 50 misconducts in prison. Those misconducts include assaulting and spitting on other prisoners and throwing cans of urine and feces at correctional officers, of course. 
If only this bitch ever did anything to Hillary Clinton, she could easily commit suicide. But she just wasn't at that level, and, and still isn't at that level, obviously. Now, after her conviction, Michelle's other two children, Matthew and Gabby, were sent to live with Blair's older sister and her older sister's husband. And I really hope that Blair's sister is nothing like Blair. Both kids obviously had to undergo therapy. Mega therapy. Massive, gigantic therapy due to this crazy trauma caused by their mother. Matthew was later adopted by another family that actually cared about him and Gabby graduated from high school and is now attending college. Good for them. I really sincerely hope that they both excel in life and through love and therapy, I hope that they're able to put this behind them. Not the memory of their siblings, but their mother being Satan, of course. Oh, and one last thing, speaking of Satan, Blair had all four of her children's names tattooed on the outside of her forearm. The names of Stephen and Stoney are now crossed out, like literally crossed out. And with that, I will bid you farewell. Thank you for listening to episode 23 of Music and Murder. Don't forget that we have David Eskew, who wrote one of Ace Frehley's singles, and that's Ace Frehley from the band Kiss, and the song was called Outer Space. And I mean like we're going to have him on right now. There's not going to be another song or anything. So as Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg would say, till the next episode. Oh yeah. And please be advised that you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will most definitely be used against you in a court of law. So never, ever, under any circumstances, ever talk to the police without an attorney. For any reason whatsoever. Just because you're paranoid, it does not mean that they're not out to get you. Because they are out to get you. They're all out to get you. And on that happy note... Let's give David ask you a call. So it should work. There we go. The hell is this calling? I'm the midnight caller. I was calling Mr. Keeney. Hey, thank you for, for being on this show. You know, it's not easy to get people to want to be on this show after they listen to it because they're like, God, you're a fucking dick. <laughs> and I'm like, man, you should you should have known me in the fucking 90s and my 20s. I did know you then. Yeah, which I, I wanted to start off the conversation like I do with most of my conversations with my old friends. I'm really sorry that you had to know me while I was in my 20s. Oh, come on, man. People that, like, you know, they, they'll say I'm a dick now, and I'm like, fuck, you haven't seen nothing. You should have seen me when I was in my 20s. Fuck. I don't think I, don't think I ever had anybody in my life that I didn't fight with. And I'm not talking, like, physically fight. I mean, like, you know, just at least have out like fights and uh, arguments with and shit like that because I was a fucking total, total 100% dick and I was addicted to fucking drugs, so. You know what, man? We've all got, we've all got fucking shit we regret, but that's uh, fucking water under the bridge. None of that matters, man. And you were never a dick anyway. The only reason we fought was over music, shit that we cared about. Yeah, it was stuff that we cared about for sure. And we had Ernie C in our life. Man, we were crazy. <laughs> Tell you that much. 
how we're still sitting here talking as a blessing, right? Exactly, because everybody's dead. Everybody's fucking like dead or dying or they're in prison or... Yeah, no, I think it's pretty much just either dead or dying. Oh, watch the world burn, man. But, you know, play your favorite jams while you're doing it and fire one up. Yeah, it is kind of funny because when we had that band going um, in the 90s sick... um, well, I think it was around right around the millennium, so right around 2000. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the younger bands were talking shit on us being so fucking old, but they're all, like, plumbers and construction <laughs> workers and shit now, and we're still playing. No, so. I'm still doing it. We still got shows, and we're not stopping, man. You can't fucking make me quit what I love. No, no. You're 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 still going strong. So let's, uh, let's talk about your latest project. What, uh... First of all, where did you get the name Vultures Over Vegas? Like, what, oh. where does that stem from? Uh, me driving myself crazy, literally trying to think of a good fucking name for a band for over a year, actually. And uh, I thought it stood for something, you know. <laughs> Sin City, of course, was going to be Vultures Over That. I love Vultures, too. Who doesn't, you know? Just... Uh, Look, the episode that we're going to be talking about a little bit tonight, I mean, that's nothing new to this world, and that's, you know, it's pretty sad. You have to live in hell before you get to heaven. The, the episode that, I, I chose this episode basically for shock value, I'm not going to lie, like, it, it, it shocked me, and usually I want to do episodes that educate people and just kind of like say, hey, this is out there and that's out there, but honestly, I really... I, I heard this case and I'm like, boy, that would make a great episode because this is fucking rare, you know. And then right. I, I watched a couple of videos of Blair and I mean the way that I depicted her in the in the episode as being like really scary. This yeah. she she is she is a very intimidating woman and doing that type of shit to her kids was just something that like I had to tell the story of. You know, I'm just like people need to hear this, you know, maybe for education too, but they need to hear it just so they can say, What the fuck? you know warts, yeah warts and all man i mean you you explain it great you know uh, and it is educational too because a lot of people are in the dark with some of that shit on uh, the whole social worker thing the cops not giving a shit you know people not doing their job you know for like what years at a time with these poor kids so. yeah it was two and three years two and three years and I, I guarantee if anybody would have called the cops and they would have said hey Stony Blair and Stephen Blair have been missing for two or three years the police would have said well there's nothing we could do about it call the social workers you know it's yeah. like it, I mean everybody wants to put it off on everybody else and it really is an atrocity it really does blow my mind I know I said I, I, I listened to the episode actually today and I was like man I'm even like extra pissed than I than I normally am and I'm a total fucking dick in this episode I don't I don't know why, but I, I get it because I am mad at the whole system. Yeah, it's, it's just so fucking hardcore and just such bullshit, innocence lost like that. And you're that talking was, 2015. We're not talking 1970, 1960 well, I, or know, prior. Kids, We're talking fucking just right before the pandemic. You know, those kids should have been on a milk carton a month after that happened, at least, you the, know. I just can't believe that the parents, father's family didn't care. Her family didn't care. After after they took Blair to prison, like I said, Gabby and Matthew went to uh, went to her sister, and it's just like, where was her sister during this fucking three years that that Stephen was gone? Yeah, you know, kidding. Where's my nephew? Where's my niece? You know, and that's I think that is this the the biggest thing, and then putting them right next to the front door. Wow, 
for yeah. three fucking well, years. You're talking three Christmases, three fucking Fourth of Julys, three of their birthdays. Yeah, I mean, you put it that way, man. Minutes, seconds, days, uh, weeks, years. It's unbelievable to miss all that. And like I said, I've had this shit hit close to home. A distant family member was uh, on Dateline. Yeah, you lost in that wasteland and living that life, you know. And no, no children in this world, especially in the United States, should should be forgotten about just because they're they don't have money, you know. And it's, it's just it's so fucked up. It really is an atrocity. It's 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 horrible. And one thing that really stood out to me was the uh, police department, the only reason why they opened that fucking freezer up was because it was heavy. She, Blair, would have been able to keep those kids in the freezer probably right now. I mean, she would probably be out fucking hoeing, smoking crack with her kids dead in the freezer right this second if the freezer wasn't as heavy as it was. Well, like you had said, Mike, uh, towards the end of the episode... Uh, you know, the only thing that caught her was what we were talking about, money. You know, she didn't pay her rent. Yeah, That's all it was wanted. more important than the kids missing. Profit over people, that happens a lot in this world, you know. Well, yeah. let's get into some better things. I, I definitely want to talk about your song that, that Ace Freely put out. First of all, let's talk about what. how long ago was that? Was that, what, what about 15 years ago, 10 years ago? 2009. Okay, so we're, we're we're talking fourteen years ago exactly. So when, when the record came out, but it, this the discussions all started two years before it ever even was recorded, ready to go. Now, how did that happen? How, just like in a nutshell, like how how did you actually get to have Ace Freely even listen to this song? Well, like it usually does in the music business, it's who you know and. Uh, a former drummer of mine, Jesus Mendez, who's playing uh, with Jason Newstead now. I don't know if there's yeah, still Jason. Out. Jason stole all our Jesse, and I I don't even like use him as a singular anymore. Like he just has a, a bunch of Jesse. It's like deer or fish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like look at all that Jesse up there. The Jesse he's, got, he's got our Jesse Farnsworth. He's he's got our Jesse Mendez. You know, he took all our Jesse. Yeah, but the thing of it is, is uh, yeah, it's who you know in this business, really, man. So that was Jesse Mendez that kind of helped yeah, you with that. Uh, the, how that all came about, you know, he called me one day and he said, "Hey, man, would you think about letting Ace do outer space?" And I'm like, huh, "Yeah, how, how would that ever fucking come to happen, man?" <laughs> the, the the fucking guitar that even Dimebag Daryl worshipped, you know, he well, he, he worshipped uh, Eddie Van Halen more, but I mean, like, Ace Frehley was one of Dimebag Daryl's favorite guitarists in the world. So I mean, that's saying everything right there for people that are young because i have a lot of younger listeners that don't know a lot about ace freely and kiss kiss yeah, was the biggest fucking band in the world for probably a decade and that trips me out when i you know i think god everybody should know who kiss was because it had such a huge impact on my life oh yeah you know oh, yeah. oh yeah yeah kiss all over my walls you know i i have two older or two older brothers and older sisters so i got all the good rock and roll man the blue oyster cold the scorpions tokyo tapes I mean, the list goes on and on. And uh, But to have something happen with Kiss, that was such a huge part of my life. And with Ace Freely, who was a huge influence on my guitar playing, it was mind-blowing. But how it happened was basically a phone call. And I'll tell you, uh, I wrote the song because I was inspired by one of my favorite bands, Monster Magnet. And I think in 1995 was when uh, Space Lord came out. Yes, and, and that was in the Ricky Bobby movie. Um, for everybody that doesn't know who Monster Magnet was, they had, they had what? two or three songs on the radio they did man they're kind of an underground band but uh and you know there's some spacey stuff psychedelic stuff about that band i don't like but the hard-hitting rock stuff yeah i'm 
with that all day long. I dig that stuff. Yeah, so. space lower mother motherfucker. That's that's the one. Okay, so so Talladega Nights with Will with Will, Will Ferrell. That part where he's actually racing at the end. That's Monster Magnet. I'm just I'm just saying for the listeners like that that I, don't know. Yeah, go check out Monster Magnet. Are they still know? playing? Are they still putting stuff out? You know, see some shit every now and again. I think it's been a couple of years. Uh, but uh, yeah, but anyway, that was what influenced me to write Our Space because uh, with a lot of, you know, musicians, we get influenced by other jams, you know. And oh, we're totally, like, totally. With me, always like, I'm going to write my version of that song. So that song had been around, you know, since 95. The call came uh, 2000, what? I remember six, hearing it on, on uh, the radio on Ear on the local show for the first time. And uh, that was, that you, you did that. I don't know when you wrote it, but I remember that you released it either right before sick or right after sick and i think it was right after sick like probably within a couple of years yeah so then it came about from that jesse uh is in with uh ace release manager and so there you go man he just got it to ace's manager and his manager was like oh yeah this is totally cool uh it's like i told you i came from outer space now i know your name i dig this place i ain't never going away that's totally space ace so. yeah you should have stayed in the dirt girl uh, no doubt. So it happened, man, and it was uh, it was mind blowing. But I'm kind of getting zigzagged around. We were talking about all the publishing checks and all the houses I bought yeah. from that nature to record my song. Well, the other day I got a publishing check for twenty nine cents, and I usually get those uh, periodically. So <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say uh, that you probably, if I had to guess, because I mean, I know I know the the music industry. I get publishing checks too, even though you know I get streams just like everybody else, and I get twenty nine cent checks as well. Well, you know, but I'm going to say if I had to guess on how much money you've made off that song that Ace Freely wrote, uh, not not wrote, Ace Freely put out, excuse me, I would say that probably by now maybe you made about 1500 to $2,000 off of it. Actually, I didn't even probably get that. Uh, you know how point systems work on records. Right, right. That's like a, a, it's like a percentage of, of, of something. You get so many points, it's like a percentage. When I signed the contract, Ace wasn't there. So that was kind of sketchy to me anyway. I went to Frisco, and at this point, after two years of going back and forth with he's doing it, he's not doing it. And then uh, I was just, let's fucking sign this thing, let's do it. I want to make history. You know, I wasn't really worried about the money part of it because I, right. I didn't think I'd get a big chunk. I actually got a bigger chunk from Rock Band. I was going to say, you had to get something from that. I mean, my yeah. biggest royalty check that I've had to date is, was $200 in one month, and I have did that a few times. And that was mostly just from streams from my own stuff. I mean, it's not it's not what everybody thinks. That's for sure. You you don't you don't make the money that people think that aren't in the music business. People in the music business they know, but people that aren't they don't they don't know. You know there's a lot of sharks in the water, and they know how it works. So we get bit on, but we keep rocking and rolling. So yeah, it was great to make history. One of the really cool things about the song is my original version was featured on a World with Heroes, which is a Kiss cover thing. It's got members from Guns N' Roses all over it. Let me see Pantera. I'm reading from the CD here. It's track. What is it? Fourteen. Outer Space is right there after Hard Luck Woman, one of my favorite Kiss songs. Yes. And, and it's my version, and it's it's all the donation. It all goes to cancer. That's it's awesome. A, it's Kiss tribute. It's called A World with Heroes, and here's the original version of Outer Space. Now, is that I, is that the set? Because you've recorded it twice. Is that, I did. Is it? I recorded it with Vultures Over Vegas at Wolf Sound, our good friend Peter Wolf. Uh, recorded, I think, 10 songs. Yeah, we did 10 songs in the Vultures Over Vegas records. If you want to hear that one too, you can go to hit up Vultures Over. Okay, Vegas. so this is the the one that made the one that made the CD you're talking about was is actually your original version that came out in like in the early two thousands. 
Yep, that was the original one, probably recorded on A dots when A dots were happening. So yeah, when we yep. worked with Ernie C, I don't remember what the fuck that thing was called, but it was a Mackie board that Ernie C from Body Count when he when he did our album. And right. by the way, they're I don't know if you follow him or anything on Facebook, but they're they're killing it. They're doing yeah. really good. They're um, doing all the big festivals and shit. I mean, every time he posts a picture, uh, they got fucking fifteen thousand people in front of him. It, I love it, man. And we basically Ernie. lived with that guy for about, like, what, four months, five months? Ernie's cool, man. He's laid back. He's funny. And he can play that little guitar. So Yeah, he did the solo for one of our songs. I can't remember which one. I think it was Crank. Look, man, we've been rubbing elbows, elbows with celebrities for a long time, man. <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean if we talked about all the people we knew and and like i said i mean you know jesse mendez and jesse, jesse farnsworth i mean they tour with newstead from metallica and those guys yeah. have been in bands with both of us i've never personally played with jesse mendez but uh jesse farnsworth for you know years no it's unreal man and i'm happy to see him do it and take flight uh just like uh you know anybody else you want to see your buddies do good so yeah to be a part of it of the history thing and to have a thing with ace i got to meet ace uh was introduced to him and the manager said, hey, this is Dave. You wrote Out of Space. And I said, eh. That was about it. I uh, got to go to the Grammy Museum and hear him talk about the record. I got to watch him do promotion using the song. I got to watch him play at the Viper Room, opening up with Outer Space. And that was all kicking the pants. But, yeah, uh, and he's, he said, eh, when you met <laughs> Back, whatever he says. This sounds like Aaron Lewis talking about uh, talking about Maynard from Tool, man. When I talked to to Aaron last, we were talking about Tool, and I'm like, you know, why don't you do sober anymore at your shows? And he's like, you know, I got the I got to meet Maynard. He's a fucking dick. And, and I mean, Aaron Aaron is a dick. Aaron's worse than me. My God, if you go to Aaron Lewis concert these days, my God, it's like going to a Trump rally. It's it's, it's insane. It's funny fun that you say that because Ace played Outer Space for, you know, because I knew the inside story. I was right there with all this stuff, and Jesse was keeping me posted, you know, on what was happening. But, uh, you know, he only played Outer Space 20 times on different shows and stuff when he was first starting out. But then he fired his band after like six months of the record coming out, just fired everybody. And it's like, what the hell, man? Yeah, I, you know, I never really heard much about Ace. I heard that he had a very big cocaine problem when they when they had the band and that was one of bit uh, gene simmons biggest problems with him because gene doesn't do drugs and never did and i right. hear i hear stories like that but honestly i don't i don't know really anything about ace freely except for that he he fucking made me pick pick up the guitar like i think i worshipped yeah. him i saw them in, in 1979 when i was six years old first show i ever went to i watched these guys fight over a shirt that gene simmons spit blood all over and threw out in the audience and these guys were just beating the fuck out of each other for it in the Celand Arena at Fresno in 1979, and I still remember that show like it was yesterday, and I was six years old. I was at that show, and I definitely wasn't six years old, and I remember that was November of 79, I believe. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I actually still have the ticket somewhere, uh, the, the oh, yeah. half ticket, because you know, we had tickets back then. That's not like these days, like you actually had a physical ticket. Right, right. My favorite Kiss song like today is like Cold Gin. I love Cold Gin. I love uh, Dr. Love. I love, love like the songs that nobody knows that like Blind or Going Blind, the one on Hotter Than Hell. Love that song. The bass, the bass riff on that song is just amazing. Gene has some badass riffs, man. I love his playing. He had the distortion going before anybody was doing that yeah, shit. I, I really don't understand the keep it simple, stupid thing that everybody said. I mean, ACDC literally made their fucking career off like five guitar riffs, and they made about a hundred albums out of it. 
And it's it's like Kiss actually does have some hard songs with some hard solos. And yeah, Paul Stanley yeah. was a good fucking singer and still is. Yeah. People think it's easy getting up there and doing that shit. It's not, man. I mean, it's a workout when you, you know, you're a singer, I'm a singer. It's a lot of work. I'm singing lead lead singer again in my new band, Delinquent. I didn't want to do any singing again. I just wanted to play guitar, but I was kind of drawn back into it. And, you know, once you get your pipes back and you're good to go, but it's still a lot of work singing, you know, a 10, 15, 20 song set. People don't get that. No, they they don't. And then everybody wants to party and talk for four hours. And it's like, you know, I had a a big old cyst on my on my vocal cords from overuse. I mean, it's it's real. When they go out, they go out. You can't expect to scream for 20 years and And come out of it without without being scathed you're gonna lose you're gonna lose up a lot of guys you know to take care of it they're still doing it you know you, you do have but you do have to as you age you do have to lay off of it a little bit i know when we used to party and stuff that you know you would you would smoke a lot i i would smoke cigarettes too whenever i partied but I'd, i i don't know i mean aaron lewis still sounds great and he's like 55 now and he he smokes like two packs a fucking day he won't oh. he won't play any place that he can't smoke at and he still sounds good so i don't know but that's the first thing that the doctor asked me when i went there he's like well do you smoke because if you do you need to quit and i'm just like dude i got a fucking a thing on my vocal cords i'm not here for for my lungs you know what what the fuck and instead of calling this the 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 blair witch fucking episode might as well call it the pete fucking wolf episode because i'm gonna play one of your songs after that he did not record that mac dre song that was in the beginning but he did he did record (laughs) both the songs that are on this episode with me and you on there yeah he's a killer engineer killer producer super fun guy to work with man I know we've both had a lot of good times with him, so yeah, it's the Pete Wolf. And he's not sarcastic at all. The big, oh my God. <laughs> he doesn't come off condescending whatsoever. Uh, if you look up, if you look up fucking, if you look up sarcasm in the dictionary, there is a picture of Pete Wolf. It's fucking crazy. Are you really gonna play that part like that? <laughs> at all? Ever I'm, play I that? mean, you you can here. I'll do my best, Pete. I, I mean, you you can sing it in key, or you could sing it the way you did. Yeah, that's so crazy. <laughs> you sure you want to hear that back? I remember. I can't remember what band it was, but they were playing at the Tower Theater, and they opened up for Warrant. But I asked Pete how that band was. He, he he's like, you know, the band was really. He, he's like, the singer was right on key, but the whole band was flat. <laughs> <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> so, yeah, so basically he was saying that their singer was shit, but that's Pete's way of talking shit on people. It's like, I'm not going to talk shit on you to where you know I'm talking shit. <laughs> oh, oh, I get it now. See, that's how dumb I am. Yeah, the singer, the singer was great, but his band was flat. <laughs> right. Oh, man. That's like coming up to somebody after a show and going, oh, my God, man, I can't even believe how shitty you were. <laughs> They're expecting a compliment. How, how did you get to be so bad, bro? Do you guys practice a lot? You you must really practice a lot. <laughs> Come see my shitty band, you asshole. But yeah, you've been doing this shit forever. So let's talk a little bit about your LA. So when you when you moved to LA, how old how old were you? Oh God. 22 23 maybe but i'd been down there in my teens you know uh, that was a, a thing where i would drive to long beach to try out for bands i took a long time to get something going down there you think you just go down there and meet a bunch of people and make it happen and most of the shit that did happen was with people that moved from you know bakersfield fresno but yeah i mean god come on dude that was 85 when i was down there for real the sunset strip was blowing up it was just amazing oh that uh, was going- the golden age 
I mean, that was fucking Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue. You could go to the Whiskey and see any of those bands. That's when all that stuff was breaking, and it was insane, man. And we never got really in a lot of trouble with the police. Thankfully, we fucking should have. It was just a crazy time. But like I said, man, I would go on auditions here, on auditions there. And it was hard to get something going there because a lot of people were just in it for the flash and the pan shit, wanting the chicks and the drugs. And you got to weed those people out. And of course, there's going to be a lot more of them in L.A. than you know your little town so oh same thing with nashville yeah people can give a fuck less about the art of music and actually doing it right or anything like that it's like hey this is selling we're gonna sound like this let's do this and i mean i one thing i i just love about you and i can't say this about anybody else not even myself is that you don't do covers you are never a cover fucking person i mean you you i'm not saying that you won't do covers because i know you have i've done covers with you we used to do smoke on the water we did other songs but i I mean, like, right. you're you're not that guy that's going to play Hotel California and learn the solo note for note. You know, no matter how much money you're making, you're just, you've, you've always done your own shit. Not good enough to learn that solo anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the first song we ever recorded together was uh was uh, was uh, sick and twisted and uh that was a song that you wrote and an amazing fucking song and i remember you in the studio basically fucking like doing a back bend all the way across the floor like why you were doing the fucking solo and i'm just like jesus christ i've never seen anything like this this motherfucker's in the studio and he's like fucking climbing the walls and shit i mean dude you are a fucking rock star and, and if nobody uh-huh. else if the rest of the world doesn't realize that then you know I, I realize that, and I've realized that since I fucking have known you. You know, it's like you, you should have been more than anybody I think that I've ever fucking met with the songs that you've written and the shit that you've done on guitar. You should have been a fucking star, you know, and you, you know that just as much as I know that. For whatever reason, the stars didn't line up. I'm happy with uh, the way things turned out, but, you know, I, I think you're a big liar because you're being so fucking nice right now. So you no, are. No, nice I'm, I'm not lying, man. <laughs> <laughs> me, I still remember me and me and McNabb, and I'm like, I'm I'm fucking pointing at you while you're doing the rock star. I, I mean, while you're doing the uh, the solo in there, and I'm I'm talking to Mike McNabb, who was in a few other bands, Redemption, a few other Fresno bands, and and I'm like, that right there is what's going to get us signed. That is a fucking rock star, you know. Well, dude, you've got all the chops and all the killer songs. It comes about songwriting, and you know it's all in your hands, man. I mean, you, uh, I've always wanted to be able to just rip and shred as fast as the, the next guy, but, you know, you get what you get, and you fucking you work with it, man. So I appreciate you treating me good like that. I well, it's, the, it's the like truth, I, Dave. It's not, got, it's not me being me, nice or anything like that. I mean, it, it's the honest-to-God truth. I mean, it really is. You, you are fucking amazing. You, and you're one of the most unique guitar players I've ever heard in my fucking life. And I mean, if anybody's listening to this still, because <laughs> I'm not going to edit anything out, so it's like 42 minutes, you heard Dave play the solo in Outer Space. I mean, it's like, fuck, I'm not I'm not just saying this shit. I mean, uh, dude, you're, you're fucking, you're incredible. I'm not, And I don't fucking get people on here and just tell them that shit. I told it. Buddy, I appreciate it, man. Shit, you know. I've told millions of, well, not millions, but I've told lots and lots and lots of people that you were always my favorite fucking guitarist. I mean, I remember seeing Shredmill when when we opened up for you that time. This is the first time I ever got to meet you, dude. And I just like fucking tripped the fuck out. I'm like, wow, these guys, this is like fucking sitting here at a Kiss concert. What the fuck is going on right now? 
This isn't wow. a this isn't a local band, you know. <laughs> you Jesse Mendez, fucking Jeff, wherever the fuck he's at these days. And right. uh, what, what what was oh God? I'm friends with him on Facebook. Which what was the singer's name again? He had oh, he had a good him. voice, man. For for you guys, you guys had your shit together. I don't know. I don't know why I could remember his name. Op. Uh, I haven't heard from him in a while. He yeah, goes he, he goes by Ray now, and he's he's yeah. like very in the church and stuff like that. And you know what? Good for him. You know, I don't. I'm not saying that like is a bad thing. I'm just saying that a lot of the stuff he posts is about is about the Lord and stuff like that. And uh, you know what? If that works for people, he's had a rough road with family and shit, fucking dying on him. So it's all good, man. But yeah, dude, that dude could fucking sing. And uh, he was like a Sebastian Bach, but with some grit. Like it was just fucking. He he had a great voice. I could just never get him to to come to rehearsal. And Ray, if you're listening, damn it, get to rehearsal. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes 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 because i remember like what was my like one track one track fucking mind you guys had some fucking great songs man it's so weird i can't remember what i did yesterday but i i could remember your whole fucking like five song album that you guys put out well, it, it, fuck you. your memory's better than mine i'm gonna remaster that shit i've got a copy of the cd I've dude, got there a, was some great uh, shit from shred mill i mean you wrote the lyrics i think to everything didn't you yeah yeah you know behind the pen now you know but uh falcon does a lot of the uh, lyrics uh, for delinquent and if you know a shameless plug you go check out delinquent metal on facebook fuck yes uh, delinquent CDs. metal delinquent yeah we've got it is, is james in that one too hip we're, we're called delinquent the facebook page is delinquent metal hip is in the band these are all fucking local legends badass oh yeah yeah i was listening to to hip all the way back in the betrayal days i mean like yeah that guy's that guy's done it all man local 13 was a big fucking deal so much oh, so much respect for those guys falcon I, hip i mean they were fucking I they were amazing I remember it's the still show out of place. The show is out of your place. The local 13 was sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they uh, did the had, X Fest when I had the magazine going, and I mean, like, Hip helped me a lot with the uh, with the with the uh, website and everything. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's, he, I mean, yeah, those guys are fucking just amazing. I, I would love to have uh, Hip and Falk on the show one of these days, and maybe I'll get to be able to do that someday too. Because yeah, oh, for sure, man, for sure, they got you know they've done a lot of shit with organ donor with Jim Gillette. So, but it's great to be jammed with these guys. You know, I was in a band with uh, Falk for uh, shit thirteen years. And- Death Alley Motor Cold, and, uh, and it's very really hard to find yeah. a bass player. That's yeah. the reason. That's the reason why when we had sick going, we actually hoarded them all. Remember, <laughs> it's still the only band to this day that I've ever heard of in my entire life that had two fucking bass players. <laughs> We were like the spinal tap of bass players when it comes to their drummers floating or whatever. <laughs> we went through bass players like fucking toilet paper. Oh my god! I just wish the, I wish to God that we had somebody following us around with a fucking like like some cameras and did a documentary on that band. If you if you liked our music or not, we were fucking we were something, dude. First of all, we went on a little tour for like a week or two that our that our manager bought a tour bus for, and we didn't sleep one fucking second for like two weeks. <laughs> It, it, like, I mean, fuck, dude. It was just insanity. Hey, we lived up to our name. We oh, were sick. I, that's what I was just getting at. I was going to say that, like, uh, I remember you saying, you're like, man, bro, I think we cursed ourselves with this name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That tour, and that was a blast. 
in, in our little practice room that we'd practice in, and uh, it would be 110 yeah. degrees outside, and it would be about 140 inside the practice room. Great memories, and I'm still doing it now. What's it, 110 here in Clovis? Yeah, you were telling me that when we were talking for a minute the other day, uh, the, the practice room fucking your gym, wherever you're practicing at, it's getting a little hot in there. Yeah, we, have, we just blew the whole system out the other day. It just got too hot. The board said, fuck it, I quit. <laughs> yeah, it well, happens. Yeah, it does, man. I'm still doing it and glad to be doing it with the guys in Delinquent. Who else is in the band? So you have you have Falcon, you have Hip, and who else? Uh, James Lee Tabor. He's a drummer from Six Ounce Clubs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I played uh, and party with that guy a few times. Yeah, it's a bunch of badass line up here with these guys, man. I'm lucky to be jamming with them. Everybody knows uh, when what I was in... doing it. We're having a good time doing it. Uh, we just shot a video getting that edited. So nice, nice. So, so everybody out there listening, man, you know, fucking don't stop doing what you love doing. Just love doing what you're doing, you know. I, I think the guy's name was Dave. When when I was in Six Ounce Gloves, it was like right after right after I I basically was kicked out of the banks. So I was I was kind of like trying to do things that they didn't want me to do. And then uh, the the drummer, I think his name is David. He plays he plays with my cousin now. I'm trying to remember the name of their band, but that's when that's when um, Chad who lives at the Bay Area now, and then uh, Lee. We used to call him Lee. I don't know what he goes by now, but that's when he he became the drummer after that, too. And then they, they just fucking exploded there for about a couple years, and then they broke up because of something. I have no idea why. Yeah, that, that was a great band, man. It wasn't... I think that was my third or fourth band in between Sick, and uh, the, the, they were the last band that I played with. After Six Ounce Gloves, I, I I said, fuck this, I'm not I'm not gonna go to band practice anymore and, and try to put a bunch of stock into people that are just gonna fucking, like, yeah. let me kick them out or anything. And, I mean, that's just me. You know, bands are... Bands are important. You know, I, I I get fucked out of a lot of gigs because I don't play with the band anymore and I do everything just solo, but it is what it is, you know. I, I, I really do miss it. I, I do miss the camaraderie. I, I miss being on stage with people. You never know what the future holds, buddy. For sure, for sure. And I, I'm not ever going to say that I'm not going to play in a band again. It's just, as of right now, that's the last one that I've ever, that I, that I was in. And that was, uh, fuck, I think, I think around maybe 2008, 2007, somewhere around there. So it's been about... Oh, you can do it all yourself, and you do a damn good job with it, buddy. I watch your performances quite a lot. And I, dig I it. tap I dance. <laughs> you know, I, I don't pre-record anything, and a lot of people are. At, they'll have I'll have musicians ask me, you know, how how are you doing your backing tracks? I'm like backing tracks. Are you watching my motherfucking feet? Like, literally, yeah. I'm not doing any... I don't have anything pre-recorded. I wouldn't do that. You think a musician would know that? Come on, you You, you would think. You would think, but you would be surprised. I mean, even even when I was playing in Nashville, I'd have people coming up like, hey, how are you doing your backing tracks? I'm I'm, I'm Keith Urban's... One of Keith Urban's guitarists, or I'm fucking one of uh, so-and-so's guitarists. You know, all people that are all fucking supposedly known or whatever, and I'm just like, dude, I'm not doing backing tracks. I'm, I'm doing everything live. I'm just so running I'm 15 live. things with my fucking feet uh, yeah go go see this guy you know i mean uh i'm i'm proud of what you're doing dude you're still doing it I've been friends you. forever and will continue to be thanks for having me on the show i know we went way over time here I, yeah <laughs> and i know the dude that that runs the show so it's like you know oh, yeah. 
the only the diehards are going to listen to this whole conversation, and that's totally fine with me. I really don't fucking care. I'm not going to ever probably make any money off this show. And that's one of the real, the biggest things for me, and I say it all the time on the show, it's like, if you don't like the show, don't listen to the motherfucker. I do this show for me. Like, I do this show for you. I do this show for musicians that I want to showcase, and I'm lucky to have, you know, 100K people listen to it or whatever I have at the moment. It might be more, might be a little less. I might have gained some, I might have lost some, but I know as of episode 18 or 19, I hit 100 fucking thousand listeners, and I had I had I had some corporations that was actually hitting up the uh, the company that does my distribution and stuff like that, like saying, "Hey, we want to advertise on this show. The this guy's got a fucking audience and stuff now." And uh, you know, I'm just like, no, because if I do that, then I got to quit cussing. I got to fucking conform. Yeah. I don't want right. to fucking conform. I want to. I want to do what the fuck I want to do, and I want to showcase my 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 people. I want to showcase my peers. You know, I don't. I don't give a fuck if I've known a person a million years, or I never have known them at all. If they want to be on the show and they have good music, I would love to have them on the show. I think that there's not enough platforms. You know, we have the same. 15 songs playing on every fucking radio station these days. I don't know if you realize that, but it's like there's oh, there's I, nowhere for anybody I, to play their music anymore. Nobody gets I, to hear it. I can't listen to radio. I can't, you know, nothing against Nirvana and Pearl Jam and it's just the same shit. You it's the same fucking time. shit. And yeah. like nowadays, it's like, it's like you have 10 singers that have taken over the whole entire world. They're on rap stations, they're on rock stations, they're on fucking everything, and it's like the rest of us can just suck a dick, because either they're gonna, you know, all the record companies are pushing these same ten motherfuckers, or they're not pushing anybody. No, it's the only way they can make money, and the only way they're, well, you know, they don't uh, nurture bands anymore. They don't work with bands like and, they used to. And there's, what, 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 I'm, what I'm bitching about is that there's also like no platform for anybody that hasn't made it. So we talk well, about finances, like the one percent running the entire world the top one percent well that's the same motherfucking way of music the top one percent of musicians are the only motherfuckers that are getting heard well, don't you know it? don't you know the rest it? of the 99 percent of us don't have any platforms to to do that so i'm like you know i want to be able to play songs from other people that people don't get to hear i get i get more messages on the music that i play on this show you know um especially uh, people pissed off about me always putting my music on here, but they could suck a fucking dick because I'm like, well, why don't you get your own podcast and you can play whatever the fuck yeah. you want? I mean, that's a huge accomplishment, getting to 100,000 people. People don't realize how difficult it is to do it. With no advertising. The, the, you know, it's fucking, it's incredible. It's amazing, man. And I'm not I saying did. that because I, I did it. It's just like, I got maybe 20, 20 something thousand followers like on Facebook, maybe I think, I think I got like 26, 27,000 on fucking Instagram. I got 100,000 people listening to this fucking goddamn podcast. And it's like I've been playing music for 30 years that nobody gives a fuck about. And I and I get this podcast and now everybody, you know, is, is listening. But they, they still bitch about me putting one of my songs on every episode. So I must not be as good as I think I am. But I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna cram it down your fucking throat like it's a big hard dick. But uh, yeah, it's like I don't I don't mind forcing people to listen to my music. I don't feel bad because I work hard on this fucking thing. That's what we do it now. We want them to hear it. We want to get it out there, and it's a kick to be on the show and to have a hundred thousand out there. Uh, you know, you hundred thousand go tell your fucking friends to get on this podcast. And and that's just that was like fucking six seven months ago. I have no idea what it is now. I don't look at the numbers. I don't I don't care about the analytics on here. I will look at how many followers I have like on Instagram or whatever, but I don't I don't look at uh, the analytics. Like I don't go into the the guy that or the company that 
PodServe or whatever the fuck I go through. It costs $20 a month to uh, to put this podcast out, to keep it out. And uh, I don't ever go into the, the number part of it because I really don't give a fuck. If it's five people or it's 100,000, and the only reason why I knew that I hit 100,000 was because the, the guy that, like I said, the guy that uh, owns the company that distributes this podcast to all the different platforms, it's like on 30 different platforms or something like that. Um, he, he emailed me. He's like, dude, I'm getting emails about your show about like people on the advertising stuff. Do, is it okay if they email you? And I'm like, no. I, I don't want to, I'm never going to put commercials on the show. You know, I, I make money off playing music. So that's, that's fine. And that's awesome that you can do that, man. You don't have to do that nine to five grind. Yeah. I've still never had a job. So <laughs> I got four fucking college degrees, never had a job in my life. People say, what are you going to do with your master's degree? I'm like, talk about it on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody that I'm smarter than them because I have a fucking master's degree. I mean, that's another uh, thing, too. Everybody out there, this guy's been doing some schooling for years and years and years. So, oh, congratulations on all of that, man. That's amazing. Yeah, I got four of those motherfuckers. Not not four master's degrees, but I got four college degrees. I got two bachelors and associates in that one. And I, I don't plan on doing anything with it. I just like the no shit. So, you know. I'm if, glad that I got to be part of this episode. Uh, Blair Witch, I hope you burn. Yeah, a fucking crazy bitch, dude. Like, seriously, just just straight evil. To do that to your own children, you have got to be fucking evil. You're not crazy. You're not fucked up. You're fucking evil. Sadistic, demonic bullshit. Stevie and Stoney fly high, man. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, thank you for being on the show, brother. I really appreciate it. I love you, man. I, I definitely want to catch a show. At Delinquent Metal on Facebook, hit us up. Michael, I love you, man. I miss you. Thanks for having me on the show. Have a chill night. So this is Vultures Over Vegas, Dave's band, and this song is called King of the Jungle.